Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. This is so good, guys. This is so good. I hope you can get this. I really do. If it sounds like we're just, you know, kind of continuously hammering this one point, it's because it's really difficult sometimes to get these kind of realities from your head into your heart. It's difficult. It's tough. I mean, you go out into the world and you end up in, in, swimming in the soup of our culture that subtracts from you and it takes from you and it gives you all these false uh, equations for significance, identity, purpose, belonging. It tells you what you lack. It tells you what you need. And it reinforces that message really to make you faithful consumers of some products you don't need. And it does, they have no care for who you are and what your heart is about. And in, what we're trying to do is help you find the, that home that your heart longs for, and it's only in Christ, but it's a difficult thing, and it's, it is something that you can get intellectually. Like, I you know, can give my assent to these principles and say, yes, these things seem to be true to me, but that isn't really the essence of faith. The essence of faith is not that, yes, I, I believe this. My, my beliefs are correct. The essence of faith is that somehow in the core of who you are, that belief, that that, that, that you know, agreement intellectually turns into something that looks like trust. Uh, we talk about our heart in our culture as the seat of emotion. The heart is you know, where, where your feelings live. And you know, our feelings are so fickle, right? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you have these feelings and those feelings, and they seem to change. In the ancient world, the heart was not the seat of the emotion. When you hear things in the Bible like, he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, or you know, David was a man after God's own heart, it doesn't mean that he always felt a certain way about God. It's not about feelings at all. The heart in the ancient world was the seat of volition. It's where you made your choices. It was your core. It was, it was that place where you navigated and said, I decide this or I decide that. It was, it was a person's essence. And so I, that's where we're trying to get these truths, into your heart, in, into, into the place where of, as an act of volition, as an act of choice, as an act of the will, you say, I choose to trust it at the core of who I am. I choose to live into that story of belief. And this is so powerful, this idea of, of beauty emerging from the ashes. I mean, I hope you can recognize the glory, the splendor, the artistry of our God when you look at the stars in the night sky, when you hear the crashing of the ocean waves on the shore, when you, when you see every sunrise, every sunset. I'm a hunter, and I just, this is you know, part of the thing, my, my, I, I come back from the woods, and my wife says, did you get anything? And I said, I didn't even see any deer. And she, she gives me this look like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you wasted your time this morning just being out in the woods and not seeing any deer. And I'm like, man, they, you know, I'm not, 90% of why I go is because of quiet, to sit in splendor, to watch. You know, have you ever been, I mean, do you have any hunters in the house, anybody here? You know what it's like to get in the woods before the world has woken up and nature itself forgets that you're there? And you get to watch the earth come to life. And, and you're just, you know, you're in complete camouflage, sitting completely still freezing, you took us off, and no one even knows that you're there. And, and you watch the world come alive, and you get to see the splendor and the glory of God around you, and it's just amazing. Now, it doesn't hurt if there's a big deer at the end. Be honest with you, that doesn't, I, I, I will gladly accept that burden from the Lord, okay? 
But this is not about that. It's the splendor. But here's, here's the most beautiful thing. The greatest splendor where God does his best work is not on these you know, Ansel Adams you know, photographs of these great mountain vistas and you know, the, the kind of you know, things that Apple's going to put as the next you know, desktop background on their new operating system. The greatest splendor is you. You are his masterpiece. You are the culmination. You are the pinnacle of his creative work. You are the reflection of his most intense design, male and female, created in this complementary relationship to reflect back into the world the very glory and essence and image of their creator. You were created to create. You were imagined to imagine. You were put into this world uh, on purpose, for a purpose, to reflect back to the world the glory of our God. We're like an angled mirror. He shines on us. He blesses us so we can then be a blessing to others. This is the Abrahamic covenant. It's from the very beginning. It's what God wanted to do all along. It's what he's been doing. Jesus called it the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. You're it. You are it, man. He does his best work in you. And then through you into the world, you overflow. And it's, it's remarkable. It, it takes, you know, problems to potential, trash to treasure, brokenness to beauty. He does it over and over again. He did it yesterday. He's doing it right now. And he will do it again tomorrow. If you're here and you had an encounter with the living God this weekend, I want to ask you to do me a huge favor. And this is big. As a, as, as a point of sacred trust between you and I, we've gotten to know each other now. You know me a little bit. Here's the challenge. I want. Here's what I want you to do. This, this would be a huge deal for me if you could do this. Go tell the adult that brought you. Tell him about it. Tell the story. Something happens when you don't tell the story of a God encounter. It dies. It's like it never gets a chance to really live. So go find that adult, that, that adult you trust, that adult that invested his or her weekend to bring you here, that adult who's, who's developed enough relational currency with you to be there, you know, that one that takes you out to lunch at Burger King. Listen, no adults like eating at Burger King, Okay. That's not like a thing we do. We do it because you're there, all right? We, no self-respecting adult ever eats fast food and is happy with himself afterwards. The aftertaste is somewhere in between shame and regret, okay? It's just not a thing we do. We do it for you because we love you, okay? And, and you know, I'll, I'll tell you the truth too. No adult came here for any other reason than for you. <laughs> so trust that. Go with them. Go to them with your story of transformation. And I've got a beautiful story of transformation of the glory of God on display here from the fifth chapter of John. And I think this is a remarkable chapter. This is interesting because I've been preaching a long time. I've been preaching since I was about 16 years old. Um, I was actually at a youth retreat like this. Uh, I had just come to know Jesus uh, maybe a couple, maybe a year and a half before then, maybe 15. And um, my youth pastor, we were at a retreat like this, and right before the session, my youth pastor came up behind me, and he could tell that I was really praying and having a good time with God. And he came up and said, hey, Justin, what's going on in your heart right now? And I said, man, God's doing some stuff in me right now. I just feel like I'm getting a download. And he said, well, good, because I've got nothing, and you're going to preach. And I was like, what? Oh, that just seems irresponsible to me. Like you, I feel like you're not doing your job very well. I feel like, you're like, like you have job performance problems and you should go talk to your boss about this. And he was like, no, I just feel like it's not. And so I did. I just, I, listen, when you're 16, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed yet. You have all amygdala. You live out of impulse and you say yes to things you shouldn't say yes to because that's who you are. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. I'll preach. 
And um, I loved it. It was like a drug. I was like, this is the coolest. <laughs> and I haven't ever stopped. And so, I, you know, I've been doing this a long time, but I've never actually preached from the fifth chapter of John in my entire career, except for today. This is the first time. So here we go. So it means if I screw this up, it's not my fault, okay? You don't laugh at a child when they're learning how to walk, right? You guys are, you are so judgy. Yeah, I'm telling you. Anyway, okay, here we go. So John 4, beautiful thing, Samaritan woman, all this stuff. He says, sometime later, and here's what I want you to understand about John's gospel. John has a unique relationship with time in that he doesn't care about it. Not even a little bit. John is rearranging narratives according to a different timeline. Never get into the trap of comparing John's timeline with the Synoptic Gospels timeline and trying to figure out who's right. It, John has done something where it's much more like painting a portrait than it is taking a photograph. You see what I'm saying? He's trying to tell you who Jesus is in these artistic pictures, and he's rearranged events, and he tells you he does it. Don't be alarmed by that. It's not like he has a, a hidden agenda. He tells you, this is my agenda. I wrote this this way to tell you that he, Jesus is this way. I want to tell you about my friend. And so he says sometime later, that could have been three years and it could have been two minutes. We don't know in John's gospel because it's not important. He doesn't even care. A matter of fact, if you read John's gospel, it seems like Jesus is teleporting between Galilee and Jerusalem really rapidly. He's just like, poof, poof, poof. It's like, wow, it's a long walk. Okay, well, how did he get from here to there so fast? Like in the synoptics, there's these two neat journeys to Jerusalem. In John's gospel, it seems like every five minutes, Jesus is back in Jerusalem for some feast. Well, Ignore that. It's his, what he's saying is, these stories paint the picture of my friend Jesus I want you to recognize. I have a unique perspective, and I want you to see him through my eyes. And so that's what you need to hear. So ask those questions. Here we go. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Here we go again. And up to Jerusalem, Galilee's north. We think north means up, but this is literally up a hill. Like they're climbing a mountain. Jerusalem's up on a hill. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And this is just some geographical locating information for us. A uh, couple things you got to know. The Sheep Gate, dirty place, that's where they bring animals in for the slaughter. And so this is a place full of like animal refuse. It's a dirty place. Respectable people avoid this route. They don't go that way. And part of the reason they avoid this route is, is where you pass through this area with the five colonnades and this you know, um, place called Bethesda uh, with all these pools, because here's why. And John tells us, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. That word disabled, um, that's the wrong word. It just means unwhole, unwell. We, we've been exploring a little bit. We're not hiding from it. It's not just this, you know, everything is hopeful, everything is bright, everything is beautiful. We understand that there's some brokenness in this world, that your story sometimes doesn't look like it should, and that sometimes things happen to people. We live in a world that's been fractured and broken, and, and this happens. And here, these people that have been touched by the brokenness of our story, with some dysfunction or another, with some problem or another, with some issue. Maybe disabled is okay, but I think in our culture, it, it has a certain weight. This just means people that are broken. They aren't experiencing the wholeness that God intended for them to experience. And so whether there's, there's this, and he, you know, there's blind, the lame, the paralyzed. This, these people in the ancient world are carrying the weight of profound problems. And it was a culture where there was judgment about such things. People assumed things like, because you had sinned, 
That is why you have this problem or because your parents had sinned. And that's one of the things that Jesus tackles later in, in the Gospel of John in the ninth chapter. He says, uh, it, that's not how it works. It's not like this person who's born blind is blind because of his disobedience or his parents' disobedience. It's not that it's, we live in a broken world and this is an opportunity in that brokenness for me to weave a story of beauty. So watch as my, my wholeness displaces what is broken. Jesus seeks this place out, this place that people avoid. He's going there on purpose. This is the kind of place in the city where there's masses of undesirables, and they've gathered there together to find some solace, some comfort, some community among the disenfranchised, and they've gathered there together, and, and people try to ignore them. They go the other way. They cross by on the other side of the street, and they avoid this place, but Jesus goes there on purpose through the gate where the sacrificial lambs enter. The Lamb of God comes to the broken, to those with the most profound need. He goes to the place where the mess is the most intense, and that is where he's seeking to do the greatest miracle. I love this. One who was there, now there's many people there, right? We're going to single out one because God has a story of redemption, and we don't know why he picked this one and not that one. We don't know what he's doing here. And it, honestly, it has nothing to do with this guy because this guy is like, he's the worst. I mean, he's, he's awful. This guy is a, um, you know people like this. There's no ownership. They have, they, there's just blame. They make excuses all the time. They have all these reasons why everybody else has, has swerved in on their story and ruined their life. And it's like, oh, just all these reasons. You ever with somebody and it's like they're a vacuum of life and you don't, every time you talk to them, you feel like you're, you're more depressed than when you started and you leave and you're just like, oh my gosh, why am I so sad right now? I can never hang out with Kathy again. I'm sorry if you're Kathy. If your name is actually Kathy, I just made you the negative point in this illustration and you'll never live that down. Kathy. Anyway, this, this is that guy. This guy is Kathy, okay? One who had been there, he had, and, oh man, this is tough. He had been an invalid for 38 years. That's how old I am right now. That's where you say, you look good, pastor. 38, I thought you were 37. Not a day older. Okay, 38 years he's been an invalid. When he's been broken, he's been paralyzed. He's been, he's been living in this stuck state. And when Jesus saw him laying there and he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question. And every once in a while, again, I said, if Jesus asks you a question, all he ever really wants from you is surrender. So just be careful with the question because he's not really asking the question that he's asking. He's asking something else. But this is the question he asks. And this seems to be, I don't know if it's insulting or not. I can't really tell. But listen to what he says to this man. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? If you're taking notes today, that's the first thing I want you to do is decide your direction. Decide your direction. This is, this is a funny question. Do you want to get well? After 38 years of, of, of being stuck, Jesus asked the question, what do you want? Now, let me ask you that question. Don't answer it, but, but think about it. You've got to answer it to him. What is it that you want? What do you want? What do you want to leave here different? 
What are you looking for? Why'd you come? You came in search of something, or maybe you were dragged by somebody else who was in search of something, and they just drug you here. Maybe you came because the zip line is really awesome. Maybe you came for whatever reason you came. You followed some blonde girl. Hopefully that works out for you. Okay, I don't know, but you want something. And this is the crazy thing about your desires. Do not let your momentary appetites, your momentary cravings, those, those things you want in the moment to confuse you from what it is that you actually, ultimately desire. We do this all the time. We do this all the time. We let a momentary appetite get in the way of our ultimate desire. What is it that you really want? What do you want from your story? What do you want from God? What do you really want? No, not breakfast, not bacon. That's not what I'm talking about right now. Those are, those are momentary cravings. Not, not a boyfriend, not a girlfriend, not I want to be popular. Those are all shallow. Someday your future self will look back on that momentary appetite and say, why did you waste your time pursuing that silly thing? What is it that you really want? Let me give you some suggestions. That I, I think I know a couple things. One, you want to be alive like fully, really alive. You want to experience the overflowing cup of abundant life in Christ. That's what you want. Your heart was made for it. You crave it. You need it. You want to be in deep, satisfying connection with other people. You want to be in community, to be known and loved, to be seen at your worst. You want a purpose. You want to feel like you're living into a story that's worth telling. You want to feel like you matter and you're, you're engaging. You want to make a difference in this world. You want to have an impact. You want people to know that the world was a better place because you walked here, because you were here. You brought a little bit of heaven to earth. You unleashed a little bit of light into the darkness. I believe that you want these things. So how do you get them? How do you get whole in a world of brokenness? Think about this. Don't let your momentary appetite block you from your ultimate desire because we do this all the time. I, one of my wants, I want to be healthy. And then I have these momentary appetites for junk food. Okay, I, I do, I want to be healthy, but here's the problem. Carbohydrates and I have a complex relationship. I mean, I love them and I hate them. I mean, I, I, I hate what they do to my body, but I'll be honest with you, there were some nights that they were there for me when no one else was there for me. And they comforted me. And they were, I, said, I, have a, I, have a good, I have a good relationship with a bag of Doritos, baby. Sprinkle some sharp cheddar cheese on them, put them in the microwave for a minute. Even better, you skip the microwave, use the oven. Oh, baby, that's good. And then later I feel like, what did I do to my body? That's not, something's going on there. And I, see, what, we have this dance between what we ultimately desire, what we momentarily crave. We've got to flip the script. What is it that you want? Decide your direction. This invitation to this man on a mat, paralyzed for 38 years is, what do you want to look different? Don't leave here today without answering that question. You had a great weekend. God did some stuff. He stirred some stuff up in your heart. Figure out what you want. What's it going to look like? What's it going to change? What's going to be different? And that's number two. So the, so the man says, sir, the invalid replied, do you want to get well? And he says, well, no, he doesn't answer the question. Listen to what he says instead. But I have no one to help me. I 
I'm alone. I didn't ask you that. Do you want to be well, whole, right? But I'm all alone. He's making excuses. It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's problem. If only someone was there to help me, if only I had some people, if only I had this, if only I had that. And then he's also focused on this pool thing. This, he's like, and then yeah, no one will help me get into this pool whenever the water is stirred. Whenever I'm trying to get in, there he goes again, blaming. Someone else gets down ahead of me. Someone else always cuts in, drives into my lane, gets there first. I'm always last. Everybody else is always first. I'm always passed up. Why does Connie get all these opportunities and Carol gets all this thing? Whatever they touch turns to gold. Connie and Carol, I hate those people. It's them. I, if only I could get my turn, my opportunity. When am I not going to be overlooked? When am I going to be recognized? When is it my turn to be in the spotlight, to shine? If only I had some people. If only if this was right, I have all these reasons and excuses and I can blame and I can get angry and resentful about those things and it keeps me in my prison. I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's no verse four in the fifth chapter of John. It's missing. It'd be a fun game. Turn to John chapter 5, verse 4, and everybody just pages forever. It's not there. Well, it's not there because um, a scribe at some point early on in, in the Christian story uh, put this little marginal explanation of why these people were so desperate to get into the pool. And the problem is that verse was never in the original manuscripts. It was never in the oldest, most reliable ones that we have. And so we have better manuscripts for translations today than we did like in 1611 when the King Jimmy was first penned. I don't, if you're from a King James only church, I apologize because... That's awful. Um, but, uh, but follow me on this, okay? It, it wasn't there. It was added. But this, this, this verse 4, it, 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 what it is is this kind of superstitious idea that like an angel used to come down from the sky and disturb this, the, this pool. And anybody who, when the, when the pool was stirred, the first person into the pool would be miraculously you know, healed. And that story was, I mean, this, is, this is very likely, this is what people believed in the day of Jesus, but it's not true. It wasn't then and it isn't now. And it wasn't really part of the Bible, so it didn't belong there. It wasn't in the original manuscript, so it's been taken out appropriately by modern translators. But there's something here. Because if you're the kind of person that sits in your excuses... You're always waiting for something to happen like from the sky. Like, well, God's going to change my situation. He's going to change my circumstance. Well, God's going to come down. There'll be some moment. And you, it blocks you from ownership. It blocks you from doing anything different because you just give one more excuse. Well, God, if you could just do... It's, it's their fault and it's his fault and it's everybody else's fault. But the truth is, I don't, I don't know who it matters whose fault it is. You're in a mess. And the person with the miraculous power to get you out of your mess is standing right in front of you and you're focused on this pool and it's magic. We have all these things that we look to and they're empty promises in our culture. They're just unsatisfactory. They've, they've let us down over and over and over again. And we're told in our culture that this is okay and we have these things. And this is the tricky thing about these empty pools. 
they're so easy to keep trying. It's such a good addiction to go back to them over and over again and hope that they give us some hit of dopamine, some little bit of, of brain chemistry that's gonna help us get to where we wanna be and make us feel a little bit better. And there's, we use these things to kind of medicate our misery. And all along, all we're doing is prolonging our, our own state as a paralytic. We're stuck. And we're staying stuck because we keep looking to some other thing. I mean, imagine this. Life itself, love in the flesh, stands in front of this guy and says, do you want to be well? And he says, but the, there's these people and they didn't do what they were supposed to do and I wish they would, but they didn't. And I, have all these, I have a story and it's a really bad story. And these people, they come in and I, I'm upset and I, I'm, I'm overlooked and I'm abandoned and I'm all alone. And this pool, if I could only get into this pool, if I could only get a, a million subscribers on Instagram and I could only get, become a YouTube personality and then I would have millions of dollars for doing game reviews on YouTube and that's my dream and I just wish someone would acknowledge that was my dream and I just want to play Fortnite all the time and be paid for it somehow and I just... But that's the life I crave, and I think it's the life I'm destined to have, and really I'm due. I'm entitled to that kind of thing, but everybody else keeps swerving in on my story. I shouldn't be the starter in the basketball team, but this guy is seven feet tall, and he's in high school. What is that? It's crazy. I can't. I'll never get behind him, and I was going to be on the cheerleading squad, but this other girl was better, and she was like, go win, fight, and I was like overlooked, and I wasn't going to make the team, and now I'm so sad. My parents took my phone away. Again. Don't they know I need it? What's wrong with them? They can't even work the remote control on the TV. They're so... You got to eliminate excuses. You can't do that. You can't get stuck there. Number three, and we're done today. I want all of you to live into the story of splendor. To live into the story of splendor. Listen how this goes down. Do you want to get well? And this guy starts making excuses, listing all the reasons why. It's not good. And then this is, listen to what Jesus says. Again, I love Jesus. He's so good at this. He just ignores this man and his whining. And he says, get up. Get up. Um, the NIV here has an exclamation point after the up. That's good, because this is emphatic in Greek. This is like, this isn't like, you know, sometimes I think we imagine Jesus as like the stained glass white dude from Scandinavia for some reason. I don't know why, but he always has blue hair and, or blue eyes. He doesn't have blue hair ever. I've never seen that icon. He has blue eyes and blonde hair, and he's always like floating on a cloud with a white dress on. And, uh, you know, we don't ever think of him as like a Middle Eastern dude with a big hairy beard. And, um... But here he is. Uh, he's not, he's, this isn't like gentle Jesus, like, my friend, rise from your situation. Okay? He's like, get up. This is like, cowboy up, quit complaining, get out of the dirt. Now, you have to understand the invitation of Jesus is to do the very thing this man cannot do on his own. This is his problem. It's, this, is, this is his problem. His problem is he cannot get up. It's impossible. And the invitation to the impossible comes from the mouth of the one who can make it possible. And he says, get up. Pick up your mat 
and walk away from here. Get out of the dirt, pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man was cured. He was made whole. He was made well. Get up and walk. Beauty from ashes. The story has been rebooted. This is so powerful. And this is, I think, where we're we're tempted to kind of leave the message. Like, yay, Jesus did the thing, and it was great. And we had this transformational moment, and I got get to exchange my brokenness for his beauty and my, my problems for his potential, and yay, we're done. But that he has to go and choose to now live into this rebooted story. He has to go and, and make a choice every day in every moment from that moment forward to live into the story of splendor. And here's the problem for each of you. Monday is coming. It's tomorrow. You're leaving here in a minute. Now, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to come down off this mountaintop, and you're going to be like, yeah, God, it's so cool. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get home, and this is what's going to happen to you. And I'm just going to tell you, because I've seen this happen before, you're going to be overtired and uh, over-carbohydrated, and you come home, and you ate like 15 cupcakes last night, because that was really smart. I don't know what's wrong with you, but you did it. You had this momentary appetite, and you exchanged your ultimate desire for that momentary pleasure, and you did your thing, and you're all like... Your body's going to detox off of lack of sleep, adrenaline, dopamine, and sugar rush, and you're going to go see your mom, and she's going to be so excited. She's going to say, how was your weekend? I just want to hear about God doing cool things in your life and heart, and I paid some money to have you go to this camp. And you're going to do this to her. I just, and she's going to be like, I sent a young man to camp, and he came back, this grunting, nonverbal caveman. What is wrong with you? You weren't there, okay? You ever said it to your parents? You just don't understand because you weren't there. Whoa. I just wanted to hear about your weekend. This is what I want you to be prepared to do because you're going you're gonna to crash. You're going to come down off the mountain. I want you to come home. I want you to go say to your parents, I want to tell you about what God did, but first I need a nap. Okay? God did some amazing things, and I want to share that with you, but right now I'm feeling emotionally unprepared for this conversation. I need some self-care, and then I'm going to open my heart to you. Is that okay, mother of my heart? Okay? And if, if she doesn't give you an increase in your allowance after that conversation, I'm just... You're going to crash. Monday's coming for you. You got to figure out how to walk this out. Listen to what happens on Monday for this guy, okay? Because there's a little detail here. It's actually Sunday for this guy, but anyway, listen. Now, I'm in verse 8, okay? The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. Oh, no. Oh, goodness. It means we got all kinds of rules about what you can do and can't do. And now Jesus, he shouldn't have healed somebody on the Sabbath because it makes everybody uncomfortable. And this guy shouldn't be carrying his mat on the Sabbath because it makes people uncomfortable too. And he's walking around now. And nobody cares so much this guy who was a paralytic for 38 years is walking around whole. They're like, why are you doing work on the Sabbath? And they get all upset about it because that's what religious people do. We like to major in minors and we're prone to it. The Jewish leader said to this guy, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. I'd be like, dude, for 38 years, I couldn't do it. That's all I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Okay, I was crippled for 38 years. All you'll see me do from now on. Yeah, it's just it, like, let me, I'll tell you a little story about me. I started working out about three years ago. I almost weighed 300 pounds. I know you guys are like, whoa, Okay. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to figure this out. And on one of the first days at the gym with my personal trainer, he was like, we're going to do a pull-up. And I was like, 
<laughs> you think I can do a pull-up? And um, anyway, he got these exercise bands out. He put a band thing and do a pull-up. He had to get like another band and then a third band. And he was like, I've never in my whole career used three resistance bands to get somebody to do a pull-up. He's like, you are so fat. <laughs> and I'm like, glory. Okay, here's the deal now. Now that I can do like 30 pull-ups, you know what I do all day every day? Friggin' pull-ups. Okay, I'm at the gym doing pull-ups. People are like, why is that big guy doing pull-ups all day? Because I can now, okay? Get out of my way. I, I, I make a big scene of it too. I'm like, excuse me, can you pull those resistance bands down? I need to do a pull-up. Anyway, um, just letting you know how shallow I am. Okay, he's carrying his mat around because he can because he can. And what he should do is be rejoicing in the new life, this new opportunity that Jesus gave him, but this is what happens to him instead. He says, um, well, my old habits were blame and, and denying personal responsibility. That's what I used to do. And now that I'm confronted with a difficult situation, that's what I'm going to do today too. So that's what he does. He blames Jesus. Oh, but the man who made me well told me to. He said, pick up your mat and walk, and who am I to disagree with a miracle worker? He's back to his old habits. His old life just followed him. This is the problem with Monday for you. All the ashes you thought you surrendered are going to come with you unless you keep them back there. They're going to creep back into your story, and all your old habits, they die hard, man. You have been set free. They no longer call the shots. The sin that used to control you has been broken by the cross, but you have to tell your brain that every day until you're actually free. You have been set free spiritually, I promise you. There, there is nothing that holds you in bondage. There is no sin anymore that can entangle you. It has been broken. The power of that thing has no hold on you anymore, but you don't know that yet, really. You know it here, but you don't know it here. As you learn to know it here, all of a sudden the things that used to entangle you so easily will not even be a memory anymore. There were struggles I had at 16. I, those things don't even bother me anymore. There were things I, I just couldn't believe I would ever get free from. And now I look back on that and go, dude, pff, that's nothing. But you've got to walk it out. You've got to live into the story of splendor. You've got to leave those things behind. You've got to learn to walk into freedom, the freedom that he purchased for you. And he does this thing where he goes back into blame. And then the man, he had no idea who Jesus was. Because they, they're like, who did this? And he's like, I don't know who he was. So Jesus comes to find this guy, check in on him. Say, hey, I'm looking for you. He sought him out the first time to find somebody in the worst state of mess to do the greatest miracle, and he finds him a second time, and he says, okay, I'm going to find you. And listen how Jesus starts this. He finds this guy in the temple, and he said to him, see, you are well. Remember what he asked him? Do you want to be well? For his benefit, he asked that question. What do you want? Now, th th this is maybe a little weak, the translation here. I, I think the word for see should be like behold, and it should be said like that, like movie trailer voice. Behold, you are well in a world where a paralytic man could dance. Dance he did. And when the religious people questioned him, he danced all the harder. Okay? Behold. See. Recognize. Recognize. Open your eyes. Pay attention. A minute ago, you couldn't walk, and now you can. You're well. 
Don't overlook the second chance. Live into the better story. Don't waste this shot. Don't let the old you creep back in and, and, and choke out the new you. This is so big. You are well again. And listen to what he says. Stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Now, I don't believe for a second he means you were a paralytic because you sinned. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself teaches that. A few chapters later, that's not true. He, and he, I don't think he's warning him here of like, knock it off or you're going to go to hell. I think how you should read this is like this. Don't waste the opportunity I gave you. You've been given new. You've been having a second chance. Make the most of it. Live into the story of splendor that I've opened up for you. Our story is so much like this man. We were stuck. We were paralyzed. We make excuses. We do all these things that are unhealthy to keep us in the prison of our own making. We're stuck in our situation. And then we have this beautiful invitation of Jesus to do what is impossible without him and only possible with him. And it's to rise up out of that and live into some new story. But I'm telling you this, we are, are so bad at sticking to the truth of that invitation and living into the story of splendor. God wants to put his glory on display through you. He wants to transform you from the inside out and have the world watch in wonder as you become a masterpiece on mission for beauty and life and light and you walk and all these things that used to entangle you and beset you, they just fall away. You've got victory, but you've got to learn to walk into it, man. Live into that story. Make a deal with yourself that Monday is not going to block the progress that you made Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. That when normal comes back in, you say no. When the ordinary comes back in and tries to displace the extraordinary, you say, uh-uh, no, we're, no, uh-uh. 38 years I lived on that mat. 38 years I lived on that mat. Not a second longer. Not a second longer. Let's pray. God, forgive us for looking to some pool, some empty promise. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for uh, doubting who you are. Let us live into the story of beauty from ashes. Let us live into the story of splendor on display, the work of art that you've done in us and through us. Let us go from this place walking, dancing, leaping, and jumping because you're good. Lord Jesus, you're good. Amen. As the band just is, is getting ready to come out, I want to I do something real quick. You guys can indulge me for a second. Um, I have a, a very good friend of mine right now, and um, he is a firefighter, and he was one of my students when I was in youth ministry. Uh, forever ago. He's, he's like 30 years old now. He has a wife and a family. And um, his name is Josh Woodward. And I'll show you a picture of him here. Um, this is Josh. That's his wife, Chelsea. Uh, a week ago, Josh had some random pain and he went into the emergency room and thought he pulled a muscle. And it ended up being this infection with sepsis. And it very, very quickly became life-threatening. And the doctors uh, called his wife on his phone and said, get here to the hospital if you want to see, say goodbye to him because we're giving him a 5% chance of making it through the night. 
And um, I, I want to share this with you for two reasons. One, I want to let you in on this story, and you can all follow this on social media. It is unfolding right now, and I don't think I've ever in my life seen such a miraculous move of God. Um, tens of thousands of people are rising up to pray for Josh and for his wife, and uh, God's just responding. 5% chance they said he would make it through the night. He, he, he made it. And then there was this problem. There's this sepsis infection spread to his hand and his hand turned black and it was terrifying and scary and they thought they were gonna have to amputate his arm. They were like, there's this flesh-eating bacteria. This crazy stuff is happening. And so he went into surgery. I got the text. He's going into surgery right now. Best case scenario, he loses his right arm. Worst case scenario, he doesn't make out of surgery. He dies. Well, he... <laughs> God, again, baffled the surgeon. The surgeon came out and said, I don't know what you all are doing, but keep doing it because his hand is fine. And we're looking at it and it's black and dead. And we're like, no, it is not. And he's like, no, this is, this, this is, is, is a miracle. And the surgeon is actually now joining in these prayer circles in the hospital room. And we have firefighters all over the country and we have people all over the country praying. And I, I, I want to send him, the, my wife's recording right now, I want to send this video to his wife, Chelsea. She's right here. Let me just tell you this, young people. That, that's what you're looking for. Be the kind of person that will live that love story right there. It's Valentine's Day weekend. That's the most romantic thing you will hear this, you will see this year. Love like that. You, you, you need to follow her. Woodward Strong is where you can find him on Facebook. You need to follow this because her devotion to him is so inspiring. It's such a beautiful picture of the way that Jesus meets us in our brokenness and is always looking for beauty. She's here. She's not leaving. She's hanging in there. They've got two little kids. I mean, it's just this amazing story. And she's constantly telling the story of how God is showing up in the midst of their pain. And we're watching miracle after miracle after miracle. And I'm telling you, that guy right there is changing the world and he's not even awake. <laughs> they've been picked up by the news at this point. They're, they've been on the news like six or seven times now, local and then regional. And they're, they're in New York. And I mean, it's just this crazy thing. We're going to watch him when he gets out of that bed. And he'll watch this video right here of us praying for him. So let's pray. Okay, can we pray for my friend? His name is Josh. Her name is Chelsea. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, healer, friend of the broken, the one who met this man in the middle of his mess and provided the most astounding miracle, we ask that you would be present for Josh and for Chelsea. We thank you for the love that we're learning from this young bride as she stands by her husband, though he's unconscious, though they're not sure he's gonna make it. Her devotion is inspiring. Her love is such a Jesus-sized, miraculous thing. Give her strength. Let her be supported in this weary moment. God, we pray that you would heal, that you would continue to put on display your splendor, that you would continue to show the world that you are the God that shows up in the middle of the mess, that you are the God who, who finds us in our place of deepest brokenness and weaves into that a story of beauty and power and hope and life. So God, do your thing. Be glorified, we pray in this story. And as we do, we will honor you. We will worship you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Live After Camp episode. 
discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR, and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.